0: This episode is sponsored by FrontEnd Masters. They have a terrific lineup of live courses you can attend either online or in person. They also have a terrific backlog of courses you can watch, including JavaScript, the good parts, build web applications with Node.js, AngularJS in-depth, and advanced JavaScript. You can go check them out at frontendmasters.com. This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. But if you use the JavaScript Jabber link, you'll get a $2,000 bonus instead. Finally, if you're not looking for a job but know someone who is, you can refer them to Hired and get a $1,337 bonus if they accept a job. Go sign up at Hired.com slash JavaScript Jabber. Let's face it, bookkeeping is hard, and it's not really what you're good at anyway. Bench.co is the online bookkeeping service that pairs you with a team of dedicated bookkeepers who use simple, elegant software to do your bookkeeping for you. Check it out at bench.co slash jabber for 20% off today. They focus on what matters most, and that's why they're there. Once again, that's bench.co slash jabber. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 213 of the JavaScript Jabber Show. This week on our panel, we have Amy Knight... Hello. Dave Smith. Hello. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv, and I'm just going to shout out really quickly about Newbies uh, Remote Conf. It's going to be in July, middle of July, I think it's the 14th through the 16th, so if you're new and you want some pointers, some coaching, and it's all remote from real awesome experts, go check it out. We also...
1: Sorry, that's exciting. (laughs) Okay, carry on. I'm sorry. No,
0: it's fine. (laughs) We also have a special guest this week, and that's Greg Bogus. Hello. Do you
2: want to introduce yourself? Sure. My name is Greg Bogus. I live in Chicago, and I serve on the developer evangelism team for a company called Twilio uh, that's based mostly out in San Francisco.
0: Nice. We actually talked to you about Twilio on Ruby Rogues a week or two ago. So yeah, uh, we'll put a link to that in the show notes. Uh, that was That was a lot of fun. Thanks for having me again. It was. Uh, this week, we're going to be talking about developer evangelism, which is an interesting topic in and of itself. And I think whenever I talk to people about this topic, you know, just in passing, people either don't understand what it is, or they're just like, eh, I don't really want to be a salesperson. So do, do you want to kind of give people an idea about what developer evangelism is? Because I think I think it does things for the developer community that people don't really understand.
2: Yeah, I I would love to. And I think it's It's probably good to preface this by saying that I wholeheartedly understand the confusion around it. I think that's due in part to the fact that a developer evangelism is a very new profession. It only really makes sense for companies that are selling or have a product that's consumed by developers, right? And so that's a a fairly new phenomenon, you know, uh, especially becoming super common. But the second reason is that it, the job varies drastically from one program to the next. So I can speak a little bit about, you know, broader industry trends, but for the most part, uh, the only thing I can really speak super authentically on um, and authoritatively on is, is what it's like being a developer evangelist at Twilio. But I, I do think there's a lot of confusion because... Not only do you have developer evangelists, you also have developer advocates. You have, they'll call them dev rels or developer relationships. And you have even community managers. And it's not, there's not even standardization across the industry as to what job titles mean what, you know? So an evangelist at one company would be called an advocate at another that you can have an evangelist at two different companies and their jobs look totally different. So uh, let me tell you a little bit about what it's like at Twilio and kind of what I do so Twilio is a cloud communications company. Uh, What we're most known for is having APIs that make it really easy for developers to send and receive text messages and place and receive phone calls. Um, And so just a few lines of code in, you know, say Node, but really it's a RESTful API, but we have helper libraries for just about every language that's out there. Just a few lines of code, you can send and receive text messages, place and receive phone calls. Over the last year, we've been rolling out more products for communications, so we now have uh video chat we now have IP messaging or just you know text based chat uh and SDKs to be able to deploy that across a bunch of different platforms but generally speaking we're a communications company and our product is built for developers and what the company realized really early on is that uh so our founder Jeff Lawson he is a developer himself if if Jeff Lawson actually I would say Jeff Lawson is the best developer evangelist at Twilio a couple weeks into the job. Uh, I was complaining about live coding and we can talk about this later on if you like, because it's definitely a contentious topic.
0: Wait, uh, you get was... to write code?
2: <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I had to go there. We, we get to write it on stage and, and that that is certainly a, a contentious topic as well. But yeah, I, I mean, Jeff got up on stage and he he live coded in front of 10,000 people at a conference and just nailed it. And I was like, okay, I don't get to talk about that anymore, but uh, or complain about it anymore. But developers are super skeptical of anything that feels like a sales pitch. And they're super skeptical of anything that feels like marketing. And so what Twilio did is they hired developer evangelists to serve the community. All right, And so the mission of our team is inspire and equip developers to change communications forever. And the idea is that if we are just present in the community, if we show up at events and we help developers um, and we're, we're sitting there and we're present when they discover that they can do something that they didn't know that they could do before, they'll remember that. Like they will remember that we were wearing a Twilio track jacket. We can't bend somebody's arm and say, build text messages into your app. You know, like it but if we serve the community and the moment ever comes in their life when they need text messages or phone calls or video or chat, they'll remember us if we've been good to them, if we've acted in an unselfish way to them in the past. So that's kind of the, the theory of evangelism. How it looks day-to-day varies. Uh, quite a bit. But at a high level, uh, it's a mix of speaking uh, at events. It's a mix of sponsoring, you know, attending events like hackathons, and whatnot, writing technical contents, and yes, even doing quite a bit of uh, code ourselves.
0: So it sounds like the way that you frame this is that your job is to go out there and help the community. Now, obviously, since you work for Twilio, you want to help the community and help them learn to use Twilio for whatever it is they're doing. So I'm going to go back to one thing that I said before, and that is is that I I know several people, they look at evangelists as salespeople. And to a certain degree, you are, but at the same time, it's not... I mean, so... (laughs) Dare I say that I was once a missionary for a church. And our job wasn't to go out there and push people on what we were teaching. Our job was to go out there and meet people and help them. And in a lot of ways, if people wanted to talk to us, then we would happily talk to them and help them out. And if people didn't want to talk to us, then we would just move along and find other people. And so, yeah, we were kind of, I hesitate to say, selling You know, we weren't out there collecting money or anything for the church. But uh, at the same time, you know, we were presenting our ideas. I think that's a fair representation of what evangelism is. For the people who need the solution, for people who need what it is that you're offering or can enhance what they're doing with what Twilio provides, then you want to be out there and be a resource for those people so that they can as easily as possible benefit from it.
2: I, I am so glad you brought that up because I was wondering if we should mention this parallel because I I know how contentious the topic can be, right? So my father is a pastor. And so I I joke that I'm a second generation evangelist. And obviously, I think one of the first things that turns somebody off is the idea of a developer evangelist is the name, right? I mean, evangelism by and large does not have positive connotations uh, amongst certainly the United States and especially internationally. There's good reasons for that. Though, I will say that at its best, so you know, growing up in the church and still being involved in the church, it's not as visible a form of evangelism. It's not kind of the bullshit televangelist you see. Right. It's it's not, uh, you know, trying to force your beliefs into the legal system and making people feel guilty for not believing the same way you do. But at its best, religious evangelism does seem to take a service-oriented approach. You know, and this idea that our beliefs compel us to serve the people and serve the communities around us and when that's done well, the community can't help but ask like, wait, why are you doing this? You know? And, and I do find that there's a lot of parallels between the ideal of religious evangelism and the ideal of developer evangelism. And certainly what we try to do is to take more of the service oriented approach. The etymology of the word evangelist actually means to spread the good news. And so I do think that it's way easier to be a developer evangelist if you believe that the product that you represent is good news. And I've been to enough hackathons now where we take someone who's, say, written just a, you know, only spent a few days writing code in their life, or maybe they're even a seasoned veteran developer. And uh, they don't know Twilio exists. They go, they create an account and five lines of code later, like literally five, 10 minutes later, their phone lights up with a text message or with a phone call. And the look on their face and like this kind of uncontrolled expression of joy, it like it feels like magic. And if you haven't played Twilio before, I totally understand why you might be skeptical of that. But the first experience with Twilio often feels like magic. And so for a lot of people, you know, Twilio really is good news, you know, and, and for the people who need that, the people who want to send, say, appointment reminders, or they want to build a call center, or they just want to send, uh, you know, SMS notifications or whatever it is, it really is good news. And, you know, in just a few lines of code, it solves this problem that used to take a ton and ton of effort or, you know, was a near technical impossibility for the average developer. And being able to empower software developers to work with the telecom system has, has just had a huge impact on people's businesses and also in a lot of technology for good
0: areas. So I think we kind of talked around some of what I'm going to ask next. But what are the ways that you get the word out about Twilio? I mean, you mentioned hack nights and speaking at conferences. Is there more to it than that other than just kind of being a public face and saying, look at this cool stuff you can do?
2: Yeah, no, that's a really great question. There are a million different ways that you can do this job. And I think it looks different not only for every evangelism program, but also for any given evangelist. So I think that the makeup of activities for each evangelist on our team probably looks a a little different, but generally speaking, it's speaking at conferences. So we submit a lot of uh, proposals to conferences. And we speak sometimes about Twilio related things. Uh, so I've been giving a talk at Rails conferences over the last year on two factor authentication with Authy, which is a company that we acquired, uh, last year. We also talk quite a bit of our non Twilio related topics. So, um, sometimes about non Twilio stuff. So I give a talk called Developers and Depression. Uh, just about mental illness in the tech community. There's a guy named Phil Nash on our team who is based in the UK. He's been speaking uh, a lot about web workers lately. You know, folks will talk about APIs. So sometimes it makes sense to talk about Twilio. But truly, if you're just standing up there in a track jacket, or you know, just have the the Twilio logo by your name, and you empower or inspire a developer, like they'll remember. You know, you don't have to drive that home. So we do a lot of speaking. We do a lot of hackathons, uh, and then we do a lot of technical writing. So. Uh, A lot of, we, you know, probably ship two-ish, let's say one to two blog posts a month, um, and those all have quite a bit of code in them. Oftentimes those, I think what we've been moving towards as a team is trying to optimize those more for Google, because they solve a developer's problem in their time of need, right? So one of the posts I wrote a couple years ago was about Google Calendar API and Ruby on Rails. And so, you know, you have a developer, they're banging their head against the wall, they Google this problem, they stumble across this thing that might be about Twilio, might not on the Twilio blog, and that, you know, also gets the word out. And then I'd say uh, we've also been playing around with live streaming on Twitch lately. So we do a lot of uh, this year, we've been doing a lot of live coding on Twitch, which just created a, a creative channel. And that's been a really fun experiment. And then we're actually putting on a conference ourselves. It's in two weeks from today. It's out in San Francisco. It's called Signal. Uh, So, yeah, so a mix, I just say, of, of speaking, writing, and coding, and then just being present at events as well.
1: How long were you in the industry before you decided to go this route? And do you feel that your skills could potentially, like, get stale and then you lose credibility or how do you keep up to date on things at more than just a very basic level?
2: That's such a good question. And it is the constant... I mean, top of mind for us. So, <laughs> you know, I started programming when I was uh, six or seven years old on a TRS 80 doing basic, So super simple stuff. And I have just kind of programmed most of my life and then worked for a software consultancy here in Chicago, uh, for seven years before I did this. And I did a mix of, you know, for a couple of years, I was a full time developer and then did a mix of a bunch of different other things. You know, I was thinking about this earlier today. Chuck, I, I think you were actually there. The day that my career kind of changed trajectories towards evangelism, and it was probably the first time that I ever uh, that I I spoke about developers and depression at Mountain West Ruby. I think it was three years ago last month.
0: Yep, I was there.
2: Yeah, uh, I was just remembering that. And I had the opportunity at this consulting gig to do a bunch of different stuff over seven years. I was a full-time developer for a while. I, I did sales for a while. I, I did a lot of writing, and then I started doing speaking, especially around this topic of depression. And I gave this talk, and the the response was just so cool. You know, I got I got to meet so many people and and chat, have like really great conversations with a lot of people and and felt like I was making a difference. And out of all the things that I had done in the industry over the seven years, it was the coding, the writing, and then the speaking, but even more specifically than that, the the opportunity to help the community that resonated most with me. And so uh, about a year later, uh, I ended up joining the Twilio team. Certainly though, I do spend less hours in the week coding now than I did before. I still get to write quite a bit of code. And because of the highly technical nature of Twilio, because our product is an API, we have to maintain technical credibility. So the code I write today probably looks a little bit different. It well, d- definitely looks is different than the kind of projects I used to do. So I will probably spend a lot more time. So first off, I try to spend about 30% of my time writing code these days. We kind of serve often as customer zero for a lot of the products that come out of Twilio. So we often are playing around with like the pre-alpha versions of the products and giving feedback to the team about it. We need to be very familiar with the products so that we can help our customers out in the field. So I build a lot of stuff on top of Twilio. Uh, I also write a lot of technical blog posts. And then the coolest part about this job is that I get to work across a bunch of different languages. So I came into this job being primarily a Ruby developer. And over the last couple of years, I've shipped blog posts or written projects in PHP, JavaScript, you know, Ruby, Python, uh, played around with some Arduino. And then our big push as a team this year is to start doing a lot more with mobile. So they shipped us all off to a week-long mobile training at Big Nerd Ranch. Um, so I'm starting to pick up Android. So I've got a big book on Java sitting at home. So while I spend – I don't – spend as much time diving deep on a single code base so there are a couple pretty large projects that I've uh, relatively large projects that I've been able to work on what I think I make up for is just familiarity with a bunch of different languages because when we go to a hackathon like I've literally had hackathons where I've been able to help folks debug uh, across PHP, Python Ruby JavaScript JavaScript Arduino, uh, you know, so Java, all over the course of 24 hours. And it's not to say that I'm proficient in all those languages, but we can certainly play around and recognize the syntax and, and have an idea as far as how to help folks get through the thing. So it's absolutely a trade-off. I think for me, you know, if, if I were to really just bust my ass uh, I could probably be a solid B plus developer, right? Like, uh, but I don't think that that's how I can contribute the most value to the world. I also really like the people aspect of things. I really enjoy speaking. I really love teaching. And I think the kind of the overlapping skill set there is what makes for good developer evangelist candidates, folks who not only love to code, but who also like the teaching and enjoy the people side of things as well and the communicating side of things as well
1: being that you work at Twilio like you get to like maybe deep dive into like SMPP a little bit and stuff like that or no
2: Yeah it's actually interesting we just launched SMPP so like making that available for folks for folks who are probably who built out uh, SMS integrations probably pre-Twilio so I actually do not work on the Twilio product stack at all. Like I don't ship code to that. What I do is build a lot of things on top of Twilio. Um, so I, I work with a lot of our new products. I've built probably several dozen SMS apps or voice apps over the course of time, but I'm not actually um, you know, committing code to the actual product in Twilio. We've got engineers who are a lot better than I am uh, working on that and who are doing that full-time.
0: So I guess my question is, what's the most important skill for people to have as an evangelist?
2: Well, that's, that's a really great question. So we have four things that we look for when we're hiring folks. The first is technical credibility. And again, I think this is different from program to program, right? Because of the nature of Twilio. It's we call it an invisible product. It's a a REST API, or at least historically has been. Everyone on our team has worked as a professional developer at some point in their life before. Uh like they have code living in production somewhere. They've shipped code to production. So that has to be first and foremost. Like if you don't have credibility with developers, you, you just can't do this job. So first off, it doesn't have to be across a bunch of different languages, but the person does need to have gone. Really deep on one language and have you know a mastery of at least one language because often that then translates to picking up other languages. Second would be patience. Uh, we spend a lot of time answering the same one-on-one questions over and over and over again. You know, it's not uncommon to get the same question a dozen times at, at a hackathon or online. There's a lot of really incredible developers out there who just don't have patience to teach. The third would be empathy. So. Understanding, being able to put yourself in the position of a developer, being able to put yourself in the position of, um, learning something new for the first time, understanding that, you know, folks aren't necessarily interested in Twilio. They're interested in what they can do with Twilio. They're interested in how it makes their app better, how it makes them more money or how it makes their lives easier, how it impresses their boss. Understanding, you know, how to, you know, just what's going through. Like you need to have a lot of empathy, uh, in this role. And then fourth is hustle. Uh, It's kind of the best way that we've figured out to describe it. We work independently a lot. You know, it's not uncommon for me to go days without talking to my manager. Our team is mostly distributed. I'm the only one in Chicago. And we more or less pick the events that we uh, submit to. We we more or less pick the events that we sponsor. We almost always pick the content, the topics that we write. You really have to be pretty self-driven to do this job. And so we often find that a lot of the folks on the team have some sort of entrepreneurial background. Doesn't mean they had any kind of like a lot of us have started failed startups or just side projects, right? But just people who have taken some sort of initiative. I think a lot of folks probably come into this job with a personal blog where they published a lot of stuff before. You know, I think most developers who end up doing public speaking show some degree of hustle, right? Because it's typically not your boss pushing you out to do that. And you're typically not getting paid to do that as a developer. It's typically something you're doing after hours or you know, even sometimes on your own dime to travel. But so those are the, the four things. Technical credibility is first and foremost. Uh, and then patience, empathy and, and hustle are what we at least look for when we're trying to to bring folks in.
0: The other question I have is sort of related to that. And that is, if I'm a developer out there at a company and we have decided that we do need the mobile capabilities that are offered by Twilio, and we find that part of our team is struggling with Twilio, what's the best way for us as developers to take advantage of an evangelist at the company that we're trying to get help from or trying to use their product?
2: Yeah, that's, that's a really great question. And I, I think there's kind of two things wrapped up in that. One is, you know, simply reach out. Most of us are, are pretty visible on Twitter. Um, I'm, at Greggy B uh, or GB at twilio.com. Email me, and if it's not my specialty, I'll, I'll figure out uh, someone who can help you. Then, the, the second thing is our support team is actually made up of a whole bunch of people who also write code. So, you can always fire off an email to help at twilio.com. You can copy and paste source code into that, and you will get an answer of corrections. And they are fantastic. And then, the third issue is that you know our team, again, spends a lot of time writing technical content. So hopefully, we have done a good job of, A, writing documentation. We have kind of a spinoff of the developer evangelism team called the Developer Education Crew, and they write our technical documentation and a lot of tutorials. And then we have a lot of blog posts dealing with things. So hopefully, we've done a, a good enough job that, In a large number of those situations, someone can Google the problem they're trying to solve and find the blog post we've written, find a question on Stack Overflow that we've answered, um, or they can find a tutorial or the documentation is clear enough that they can get uh, up and running. And we started playing a lot more with, like I said earlier, video this year too. So hopefully we'll have a lot more video tutorials out there. So that is often a question of like, how do we scale our efforts so that we're not spending all day long in email? But if you don't find the answer, you're out there, that process entirely. Either help at Twilio.com or drop me an email and uh, we'll figure out how to get you up and running.
0: Do you find that it works sort of the same in other companies that do evangelism or do you not really talk to evangelists from other companies?
2: Yeah, we. we I mean, we definitely see them at a lot of events.
0: You end up standing, uh, like seeing a lot of the
2: same speakers kind of on the circuit and at events. I think it's it definitely looks different at each one. We have the advantage at Twilio of having a developer as a CEO who implicitly believes in the power of evangelism and has a lot of empathy for developers. Uh, Where we've seen some other programs struggle before is when they have a non-technical person running the shop. And while it's not impossible to measure, it is difficult to measure the output and the results of evangelism. And as a company grows larger, sometimes evangelists will struggle to demonstrate with numbers that their program should continue to exist and so sometimes we've seen evangelism programs turn into more of a sales role where evangelists who used to kind of have more free reign now have things like quotas of how many startups did they sign up at incubators which you know we have, no commission, like my performance reviews are not based on numbers or anything. You know, it's just uh we kind of uh, do our thing. We do measure our activities for the sake of really for the sake of our own kind of um motivation. Uh, you know, it's nice to know that you're having an impact. And we want to see if the things that were, you know, at least directionally speaking work. But it's never like, hey, your target was twenty-five and you only got an 18 and therefore dot dot dot. So I, I do think that we're We're really fortunate at Twilio, but there's certainly some other great programs out there who have programs that are quite similar to ours, but I I think there is often a struggle of trying to figure out, you know, how do you do this in a way that's serving the community, but also... Uh, where where you know sometimes we 're playing we 're often playing the long game you know we 're n- we 're not going to see like spending times at uh college hackathons where these developers aren 't going to have full time jobs for a couple years at companies where g- they 're going to be doing a lot of uh revenue like you know, you can't really prove that that was worth the money and time that went in the sponsorship if you're just looking quarter by quarter. Uh, so I feel like we're in a pretty good spot there. And, and there's certainly some other programs out there who are in similar spots. But we've also seen a lot of spots struggle there trying to figure out how to kind of justify their existence, so to speak. Gotcha.
1: So have you ever been in a situation where potentially, or maybe not you specifically, but talking to anyone else who's like a developer evangelist, how do you handle cases where maybe like you had a security breach or lost someone's data or just like a a larger scale issue?
2: Yeah, this, that's, that's a good question. I'm trying to think, I'm trying to think if there's anything been recent like that for me. I know that before I joined the team, there was a, um, price or there was like a billing issue. I think the first and foremost, and, and so there's a, certainly a lot of smaller screw ups too, right? And, and I think the strategy is kind of the same for all of those. Uh, first and foremost is empathy. Empathy and authenticity. The developers just, we know bullshit when we see it, right? So. You just say like, hey, we screwed up, you know, and we realize that this has caused you a lot of pain and a lot of frustration, and we're really sorry. Here's what we're going to do to make this right in your specific scenario, and here's what we're going to do to make sure this doesn't happen in the future. And I think rather it's an individual that has a, like a small problem or you forgot, you even, it could be like a conference organizer and you forgot to write them back, you know, stuff like that, all the way up to the bigger things the playbook is the same. You know, you just express empathy and understanding, realize that you have seriously, you know, at least inconvenienced this person, you know, perhaps all the way up to like caused a, a pretty serious impact on their business, uh, that hopefully you can, uh, resolve. But yeah, you just, you first and foremost, just have to like admit Responsibility and show empathy for the situation that they've been in, and then demonstrate that uh, you're going to, you know, do what you can do to, to to fix the situation and make sure it never happens again in the future.
0: Uh, if a company decides that they want to try having an evangelist team, what would you recommend that they do to get that started?
2: That, that's a really a good question. I think that you probably want to find someone who's already been serving the community. I think a lot of folks who make good evangelists kind of come into it already doing the job, you know, like they were already speaking at conferences. They were already committing to open source. They're, they're already hosting a podcast or, and, but they're also working as a full-time developer. So I think that quite often uh, the folks who are really good at this were doing it before, even if it was unpaid. I think that when a lot of us have, I know at least when I have time off and take a vacation or whatnot, I often will crank out a couple blog posts on my personal blog, because uh, this, this is just the stuff I, I enjoy doing. I, I just got really fortunate that I, I got a job where I can get paid. So I think that's often a good indicator if you're looking for your first evangelist is are they already doing this? Like, are they passionate? Because man, it, it could be a really, really tough job. If you're not really into it, you know, um, like there, there can be a lot of travel, there can be seasons where it's really tough. And there's a lot of, you know, burnout is a kind of a constant threat in this profession. And so you really want to find someone who's like really into it, not just doing it for a uh, for a paycheck. Uh, and then the second thing I, I would do is figure out what metrics you are going to use to figure out if they're doing a good job or not. Understand that it, it's a very imperfect measurement system, but there are some things you can look at directionally to tell if, if you're moving the needle or not. And I think it's really good to set those numbers up Ahead of time for the sake of both parties, right? And so you you want to feel like you want your developer van just to feel like they're making an impact and not feel like it's just Groundhog Day where like they wake up, they hop on an airplane, they go do a thing, and then they come back and they're just repeating that every single day. It's really nice if they can see some sort of cumulative effect over time. Uh, so, you know, I would figure out like what those numbers are. And then I would also just realize that this is going to be a long game. Like make sure that you're really into it and make sure that. If you're a startup and cash flow is a concern, you probably don't need evangelists, you probably need salespeople. And if you're going to hire an evangelist, don't treat them like a salesperson. You know, Really make sure that you're investing in them and, and that you are, are willing to spend some time and spend some money on this program for long-term results, not just something that's going to pump up the revenue over the next couple quarters. Can I ask you all a question? Yeah, go ahead. When you've been out at, I mean, you guys go to a bunch of different conferences and whatnot. When you see evangelists, what's kind of your, what's your impression and what have you seen as far as the, the evangelism that's worked really well for you versus what hasn't?
0: That's interesting. I've actually been to a hackathon put on by Twilio. I don't remember who the evangelist was, it was here in Salt Lake uh, a few years ago with the local JavaScript group. And, uh, it was, it was just kind of fun because they led us through a workshop where people texted, you know, so you'd, you'd code something in and then I think it wound up texting or calling the person who was leading the workshops phone and then they'd get more information. And then you take that information and kind of do the next step and you'd puzzle your way through. I don't, I don't remember exactly how it all went, but it was something like that. And that was a lot of fun. And I found that a lot of the evangelism really works well when it's hands-on. I've Mm. seen evangelists give talks. And sometimes it's something I'm interested in, and sometimes it's not. But uh, the workshops, I think, really are the money for me. It's like, oh, I get to do this fun, cool stuff.
2: Very cool. Uh, what about you, Amy? So I
1: think for me, it's really just like... Knowing that whoever the evangelist is, that they have some credibility behind them, you know, we do have to remember we love to head down and code, but we're not gonna get paid unless there is someone making some sales. right. We won't be able to have our jobs otherwise. So it's like that delicate balance. But first and foremost, like having the person who when I talk to them, I can talk to them like a developer, I'm not talking to them like a salesperson.
2: Amy, I, I uh, read a bit of your blog. You're you're a pretty uh, talented writer.
1: <laughs> I'm not so sure. <laughs> Don't say that. <laughs> no everyone's gonna look. I'm gonna be embarrassed.
2: <laughs> you typically write more technical content, right?
1: Uh, so I think like the last post that I wrote was something on uh, Nginx and Angular. Yeah. I don't know. I think that was at the end of last year. So I don't write a ton. It's something that I would love to do more, but the podcast is probably what I do a lot more of. But yeah, like I I think, like I said, just having somebody who is continually trying to, you know, just become a better developer, even though you do kind of have to like straddle that line.
2: Yeah, Yeah. It's certainly a challenge. You know, you can, if you're not really intentional about how you structure your day and how you structure your, your weeks and months, it's super easy to let the more urgent stuff crowd out. Uh, you know, Because if you're going to really code and get better at coding, you need long blocks of dedicated time. And you typically don't have long blocks of dedicated time to do that unless you... Create that time uh, and block it off on your calendar. And so I know what several of us do on the team is just block off uh, our morning. So, like, um, my calendar typically will have from nine until noon every day, just it's a recurring event that just says production. And that is either producing code or it's producing blog posts, or often those two are intertwined because I'm producing code for a blog post or I write some code and then, like, I, you know, write a blog post around it or something. But I do think it's super, super important if you're doing this job that you create time on your calendar where you can just dig in into the code and and spend lots of time because you're absolutely right. Like if you lose the credibility, you can't do the job. And I think the only way to maintain that credibility is to be very intentional about it.
1: Yep. And I'll say too, I feel like so most of the vandalists I've ever met, like they're pretty friendly. I think it definitely takes like a certain individual because there are a lot of developers who like they can only do so much social interaction they get really tired. Yeah, no <laughs> so, for sure. so you have to have that like balance where you still enjoy programming but also are okay being out in front of people for long periods of time and traveling and all that. Where it doesn't wear you down where you become grumpy.
2: <laughs> oh but I, I definitely get grumpy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I can tell you everyone on my team gets grumpy sometimes you know? um, uh, and it's I, this is a really good point though um, so the very first evangelist I ever met it was a few years ago and I remember talking to him and I was like man I think I would really enjoy your job unfortunately I also really enjoy being married and I'm not sure I could do both at the same time because he traveled like 100,000 miles a year uh, I don't even think he had an apartment in the town he called home And when you meet a lot of evangelists, that is kind of the story. You know, they they fly around, you know, state to state or internationally, even a lot, giving talks everywhere, racking up tons of frequent flyer miles, spending a ton of time on the road. And kind of the industry thought is, I think this is changing a little bit, but often it was just like, hey, uh, evangelists are only going to do this job for 18 months. You know, And you're going to come on, you're going to do this job, you're going to get burned out, you're going to do your next thing, but you will have built up this platform and we will have gotten your name out there and stuff and so it's going to be good for you, but you're only going to last 18 months. And we just fundamentally believe that that is the absolutely wrong approach and that A, you can do this job sustainably. I do believe that for me. I have the best possible job I could have at this point in my life. But to your point, Amy, I do think that it it is not for everyone, but for the people who it's probably for more people than, than they would necessarily think of at first glance, which is part of the reason why I really appreciate you having me here because I do think this is an incredible job. And I also know that there's a lot of confusion about the job or, or and whatnot. So I really appreciate the, the opportunity to chat about it. Cause whether someone's working for Twilio or elsewhere, like it's just, a, you know, if you enjoy speaking, you enjoy writing, you enjoy coding, it's a fantastic gig. But we do want to structure the program in such a way that you can do this for a long time. So we actually travel quite a bit less than most programs. I think I flew about 30,000 miles for work last year, which is a lot more than the average developer, but it's a lot less than the typical developer evangelist. And it's a lot less than, say, if you're working at a 100% consulting job or something. I think in my worst month, I was away for 12, 13 nights uh, in a week. Oh, right, I'm sorry in a month. Uh 12 13 nights in a week would be pretty bad. But I have a an 18 month old daughter. Uh, I have a wife uh, like I, I really want to like it, it takes a little out of all of us whenever I'm gone. And the team respects that and the team fundamentally believes that a developer evangelist is going to be a lot better at their job on the second and third year than they are in the first year. Like, you just learn a lot, you know, you get, you build better relationships, you kind of learn which events makes more sense to invest your time and energy into, um, you'll give better talks, you'll be a better developer, and it just doesn't make any sense at all, especially given how hard it is to find people to do this job, to put them in there for 18 months and then send them on their way and just treat them like a racehorse that you can just, you know run really hard and then and then put down. And so uh it's something we believe very passionately and uh our goal every year is to have 100% retention uh, on our team and and we actually hit that last year and no, had nobody leave and really think our team is a lot better for it. But it absolutely can be tough at times. And the travel can be hard at times and there's seasons of the job where it's super, super busy. Uh, fortunately they are seasons. Uh, typically we have like our hustling season in the spring and fall where there's a lot of events and we're, we're going really hard. We're traveling more. And then I think I went the second half of December, January and February, uh, you know, so for let's say 10, 12 weeks almost, uh, I didn't get on a plane except for I think once for work. So it's a very seasonal gig where what you're doing each day looks a little different depending on the week or month of the year. Uh, and so when you are going really hard and you're getting pretty run down, it's good because there's typically a light at the end of the tunnel and you can say, okay, like it's a couple more weeks and then we're going to get a rest. And um, Twilio has unlimited PTO. Uh, There's a lot of kind of debate about unlimited PTO in the industry, but at least on our team, I think most folks on our team take about six weeks off over the course of the year. So there absolutely are some 50, 60 hour work weeks. There's absolutely some stretches where it feels like you're not home very often. And then there are, you know, we'll all long vacations uh, a couple times a year. Uh, and so I, I just really appreciate that aspect of the job. And I guess to your question earlier, Chuck, uh, something that I would encourage you know, someone who's looking to start up one of these programs to do is be super, super flexible with your person. You know, if they, if, I've heard of evangelists before who have to like go work a meetup and then be back in the office at 8 a.m. the next day or like spend all weekend at a hackathon and then show up on Monday. Like, it's just insane, you know? And so trust them to do the job and give them a lot of flexibility over their schedule to do it in the best way that they know how. Makes sense to me. For what it's worth, I feel like Chuck, you are—I would consider you very much to be an evangelist in what you do. You know, and I I know you don't necessarily have a specific product, but you have just been done so much good for the community through your podcast and like the amount of content that you put out and the consistency with which you do it is just super, super incredible. Like, I really think that you provide a a really great service to the community. I think there's a lot of people who are probably employed or or better at their jobs. I think that's probably an understatement uh, because of the, the work that you. You put in and uh yeah it's just it's really really cool to, to watch uh the i've i started up a twilio podcast earlier this year and have not had nearly the consistency that you have and you're definitely a a, a bit of inspiration when i see like this 240 something number that this episode is and this is one of like 28 podcasts that you put out it's certainly convicting as we start thinking a lot more about how do we scale our program
0: well, thanks. I appreciate that. And it's interesting because in some ways, I guess there are parallels. Yes, I don't have a product that I am pushing toward. I mean, if, if I have any, it's the remote conferences, but it's more of the same as far as putting stuff out there that helps people out. Yeah. But uh, I had a conversation at MicroConf, which was the beginning of April this year. It's 2016, if you're listening in the future. But anyway, we were talking about team organization because that was something that I had been struggling with at the time. And he kept bringing up and that way you can get the stuff done that you are committed to doing. Mm. And I just, you know, I was like, well, you know, finally it was like, I don't know what my ultimate purpose is. I don't have a why. And he says, you do, you just don't know what it is. Interesting. And and so I thought about it and I thought about it for probably about a week because it really bothered me that I didn't have a why. And it was like, well, I really like talking to everybody and it's fun. But what was the why? And I realized that the why was helping people out and making people's lives better. And by kind of understanding that and realizing that that's why I do the podcast and that's why I do the remote conferences and that's why I do a lot of the other things that I do, I've come to really understand that, yeah, I mean, to that extent, I am an evangelist. I'm just not an evangelist for a particular product or a particular library or set of technologies. Instead, I'm an evangelist for general understanding across the community and specifically of things that I think will benefit the people that listen to the show. Right.
2: You are very much spreading the good news, right? And the good news is not any one particular message in your case, but you are bringing on people who have great things to say about all of these, you know, throughout all these different communities and you're giving them a voice, like you are taking their good news and kind of spreading it out to the community that you have. And it's, you know, you can tell that you do this from an orientation of service, right? Like you can tell that you love serving the community and that's really your motivation there. And it's, it's very cool to see. Yep. Hey, Amy, can I ask you a question? Um yeah. As skewed as the developer population is towards men, the developer evangelism program or like population is even more skewed towards being men. And and I think there's probably a a number of reasons for that. But I'm interested in your take on that. You know, given that you enjoy writing and and given that you enjoy coding and given that you enjoy, you know, kind of being a public figure, like, you know, is it a a role that you would ever consider? And and how does, you know, being a, a public female figure in the industry affect you? And do you have concerns around that?
1: Hmm. <laughs> That's a loaded question. So to answer the one question, it is something that I've considered because I feel like you, it's something like that I would really enjoy. Um, even at my last job, there were conversations about it, but because I'm, you know, still newer and stuff. I just really wanted to spend more time learning before I went into a role like that. But as far as being a woman, I'm probably not going to be able to pronounce her name correctly, but I think she is a developer evangelist for Mozilla. I would have to Google her name. But anyways, she, I've had a few conversations with this woman and I feel like she has a really good insight into it like her view is when she goes out to speak or do any sort of events in the community she just wants to be known for her content Mm. not by the fact that she is a woman so she just always focuses on that and I think that is also really important because I feel like if you don't focus on that unfortunately because the industry is so male dominated that unless you have some strong technical skills, the only way that your voice is going to be heard is to be loud um. <laughs> and for some women that's okay, but I feel like for others it's not something that comes naturally usually so I don't know those are kind of my thoughts around that
2: <laughs> yeah well I, I appreciate you a- answering the question my, my apologies for, for for the for the difficult question I, yeah, I do. Th- fun. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, I, I would encourage. um, Do you went to a coding school, right? I did. It was 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 it Nashville?
1: It was the Nashville Software School, and I was the only female in my cohort. (laughs) Or the only female. There were a couple that started, but they didn't finish. So.
2: Well, for for what it's worth, I two things. One, I think your inclination to have get more developer experience is just spot on. Um, yep. And we've had people interview with our team in the past and then drop out of the interview process uh, because they want to spend a, a couple more years being, you know, a, a hardcore heads down engineer. And yep. we've never faulted anyone for that. We're always like, hey, good for you. Come back if you ever want to chat about it again. Yep. You can never have too much credibility with developers. But with that said, I do feel that not necessarily right away, but the graduates from the code schools, like dev boot camps and whatnot, are really interesting candidates for evangelism programs. Because I do feel like most of them need to go spend a couple years. Like we we've never hired someone directly out of that program, you know, as their their first gig like straight into an evangelist role. Like I do think you need to work as an an engineer for a couple years before you do it. But most people who come into those code schools come in with a a pretty rich career history or at least life experiences prior to going into that school. And a lot of them come in, you know, come from worlds like we've, I've seen, I do a lot with a dev bootcamp here in Chicago, and I see a lot of teachers come through there. I've seen writers come through. I've seen actually, uh, I have a friend who is a former pastor uh, who went through the program. And I, I think because you do need to have a, a bit more balanced skill set and a bit, you know, more kind of life experiences in order to be super effective at this role. I think a lot of people who go through the code school stuff and have these interests other than just pure coding, once they get a couple years of uh, engineering experience under the belt often will make like super interesting evangelism candidates.
1: Yep. I think so.
2: I've really enjoyed working with the, the code schools over the last couple of years. It's been just, su- I mean, if you figure that what is required in order to, to kind of put your life on hold, to go to one of those things and shell out the cash for it and, and none of those are easy programs, they require incredible commitment and just to kind of pivot so hard on on your career. Yeah. It's just been really rewarding working with them. It's been one of the fun parts of this gig, right? Like, I get to just go and, and mentor at uh, these things, and it's part of my job, right? Like, I get, I get paid to do that. And there's a lot of folks who, you know, a lot of developers, you know, who deserve a lot more credit for that, who, you know, they put in their 40, 50 hours and then go to these code schools and mentor. They go to the local high school, mentor, you know, whatever it is, however they're helping out the community. Uh, one of the best parts about this gig is the fact that we get paid to go help You know, and it's just the incredible amount of warm and fuzzy feelings that come out of this thing. We get emails all the time, you know, whether it's an email of someone who saw my talk on depression and and they decided to set up an appointment with a therapist or something. You know, it's like that was super, super cool to be able to have that impact. But like, I flew there on Twilio's dollar. Like, I stayed in a hotel on Twilio's dollar. Like, I spoke during the work week. And when I got back, I I didn't have like a backlog of work to do because I was actually doing my job. Um, and same with at the dev boot camps and whatnot. And so that's why, again, just to reiterate, you know, for the folks who have any kind of inclination to do this gig, would love to chat about it. Um, because I do. Totally understand the skepticism towards it. It has a weird title and the line's not super clear and and the job's not super well defined. But for the right person and in the right program, it can be so incredibly rewarding.
0: Awesome. I I think that's a really positive note to wrap up on. Sure. So uh, let's go ahead and do some picks. Amy, do you have some picks for us?
1: I do. So the first one, this was actually recommended to me by somebody. Um, And there's a book as well, but I've just watched the TED talk, but it's called The Power of Vulnerability. So somebody sent that over to me yesterday after just kind of a discussion about how we balance. Like I'm married, I don't have children, but um, this person is married with children and just, you know, as developers, like, going to conferences and stuff, we are a lot of times surrounded by like people who are single, they don't have families really, and just how difficult it can be to balance this industry with having a family. So it doesn't really specifically get into that point. But I think it is very much related to that point. Anyway, so the book looks really good. And once I read it, I will report back on that. The other one is programming related, and I heard this on Ruby Rogues, actually, but I think Avdi picked it, but it's called The Fallacy of Reuse. And I just thought that the post had some really, really, really interesting points that I hadn't heard made before, and it got me thinking. So that is it for me.
0: All right. I'm going to go ahead and throw out a quick pick here. That pick is Calendly. I don't know if anyone's used Calendly.com. I use it and love it. So uh, I'm actually working on getting things set up so that we can do episode scheduling with Calendly instead of Mandy trying to figure out which Tuesday people can talk on. And uh, yeah, I'm really uh, excited about some of the possibilities with just being able to automate some of these really simple things um, and Calendly is a part of that. I've also been, uh, I switched everything over to WordPress. So if you run into any crazy stuff on devchat.tv that's not working or not working right, ping me and let me know and uh, we'll get those fixed. But I've been using Gravity Forms to allow people to suggest other guests. And uh that's been working out really nicely. What happens is, is the suggestion goes into Gravity Forms, which is a plugin for WordPress. And then Gravity Forms publishes a feed that Zapier can pick up and then Zapier picks up the feed and, or maybe it's the other way around. I think I get the feed URL from Zapier. But anyway, um so it hits Zapier's API, and then Zapier goes ahead and sends me an email <laughs> and puts it into a Trello board where we can keep track of our guests. So we can kind of see the progression as things move through the system. So that's that's super exciting and really nice just having a way to keep track of what's coming up. So as I kind of get that fleshed out and uh, get that visibility on it, and I've been inviting the other hosts to join in on that, you know, and have that kind of visibility, it's been really awesome. So I'm really, really liking it. I'm also going to pick Trello. I have a 90 day sprint that I started. It was uh, something that my mastermind group is doing. So in 90 days, Uh, We're all trying to accomplish something. And for me, it's the automation and documentation on how we do everything for the podcasts and the conferences uh, at devchat.tv. And uh, so I set that up and I invited all of the members of my mastermind to, you know, have a look at it. And, you know, I'm bringing Mandy in and I'm bringing a few other people in so that they can help me get all of that stuff done. And. Anyway, it's just really awesome because it makes it really easy to manage that list of stuff that has to get done and then watch as it progresses through. I also use it for my personal to-do list. So I have to-do, and then I have like in-flight delegated so I can keep track of, okay, this has been delegated to Mandy, this has been delegated to somebody else, uh, this has been delegated to a developer, and I know, okay, I need to follow up on this and uh, make sure that it's, you know, that I know where things are on that stuff. And that way nothing gets dropped because that was always my problem running everything with the shows. With five shows and a conference every month, it's just really hard to keep track of everything. So if it's on my list as delegated, then I know, okay, I haven't heard anything about this this week. So then I can follow up and I can talk to Mandy or Federico, who's the developer that I usually have work on stuff for me or whatever. Uh, one last uh, or two last tools that I've been using for this is Slack. I've really gotten into using Slack lately, and it's nice because I can pull everybody into the same channel, and then they can communicate, and we've been using Zoom, zoom zoom.us, to do our team meetings, and we've been doing that every Monday, and that's also been really helpful because we can check in, we can see where things are at, we can make sure everybody understands what's what. I actually spent a little extra time on Zoom yesterday after the meeting trying to debug stuff on the conference's site, and it's just a really convenient tool for sharing screens and communicating and all that stuff. So anyway, I guess that's a really long-winded pick, but th- those are the tools that I've been using lately. Greg, what are your picks?
2: Well, I want plus one Calendly and Trello for Calendly. It's super nice. Whenever I want to hop on a phone call, someone I just shoot them Calendly slash bogus slash phone or whatever. And they just, add time right to my calendar it saves so many of those threads back and forth like how's Tuesday at 2 no that doesn't work for you you know Uh, and Trello we have like 6 or 7 I mean our whole program is basically run off of Trello so great programs there another tool I use a lot is called talkie.io so it's like Skype in the browser so you go to talkie.io and in my case, well, you don't have to reserve a URL or anything. Uh just go to talkie.io and I do slash bogus, but you can make up any URL. And anyone who meets you at that URL is dropped into a video chat. So you don't have to trade usernames. You don't have to install Skype. You don't have to, you know, have a Gmail account and be, you know, just go to this URL. You're dropped into a video chat together. It's fantastic for ad hoc conferences. So when I'm setting up meetings with people, I shoot in my calendar link. They put time on. I'm like, cool, meet me at talkie.io slash bogus. And we hop on there and we talk and it's, it's just been fantastic. Does it record? Uh, it does not record. You could not use it for this. Okay. Yeah. So it uses WebRTC and I'm not sure how well it scales past, say, four or five participants because WebRTC doesn't typically, uh, you know, WebRTC is all direct connect. Anyway, whole different topic. But yeah, it's fantastic for just the one-on-one. Talks. I would also say the uh, probably a bit too – well, I don't know. In two weeks, we're putting on a conference, May 24th and 25th. Uh, by the time you're listening to this, it will probably be done. Uh, but it's called Signal. We have over 100 speakers. The videos will be online shortly after the conference. Uh, it's going to be awesome. We've been working on it a ton, and so check that out. I listen to the Tim Ferris podcast a lot, uh, and it's just been great. In particular, I just listened to the Mike Rowe from Dirty Jobs episode and then also the Jocko Willink uh, he's, a the commander of the most decorated special operations unit of the Iraq war. And just the things he says about leadership is just this glimpse into a totally different world than what I as a developer, uh, am accustomed to. Uh, and then finally to the TV show billions. Uh, I just watched, I mentioned a Ruby rogues too, and plowed through all 12 episodes in less than two weeks. And it's about, uh, I don't know, just check it out. You can find it on Amazon prime. Uh, it's pretty great though.
0: All right. Well, Greg, how do people find you if they want to, uh, connect? I am at Greggyb on the Twitters,
2: G-R-E-G-G-Y-B, and I'm Gb at twilio.com if you'd like to drop me an email.
0: All right. And with that, we'll go ahead and wrap up and we'll catch everyone next week. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.